This is Say Your Name, and you're listening to the FSF Podcast. All right, guys, our guest today is an actor who's been in some of the most popular TV shows, movies, and video games over the last 20 to 30 years. Also some of the shows. most unpopular. Let's make sure <laughs> we plug those, too. We try to highlight, we try to highlight the, the good things, though. We try to highlight the good stuff, and I try to highlight the bad stuff. And then Tim just go. completely find, freezes on us. We find the middle. All right. We'll be fine. You All right, so. You asked it there for a minute, Tim. You did. He totally froze. You see, it, he seemed like flustered and flabbergasted. Mm-hmm. All at the I same was time. I told probably. not to use the F word, and I just did. You did. Wow. But yeah, you've seen so, him on shows like The Rookie, Con Man, Suits, uh, Castle, The Good Doctor, and just to name a few. But what you may best know him for is his time as Dr. Flox in 97 episodes of Star Trek's Enterprise. He's also been called the best character in all of Star Trek by SlashFilm.com. We are so proud to welcome John Billingsley to the FSF podcast. Welcome to the show, John. I'm falling in love with Slash Film. Really? They call me <laughs> yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll send you. Are they crazy? Yeah, it's it's a real thing. Um, oh, no. Yeah, uh, hold on a second. I have to- Show your work. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm working on it. I just have to figure out how to do the thing within the well, thing. I, I can oh, tell you that Bob Picardo, while you're figuring out how to do the thing within the thing, Bob Picardo wants, look at that. How about that? I'll be ding, dang, dong. Yeah, Bob I'll send Picardo, you the, copy of the link. Bob Picardo once sent me a, a little note saying, hey, John, just recently read a poll where you wrote, wrote the, the least favorite Star Trek doctor. I was like, what? Rude. <laughs> what? Even Diana Muldaur beats me out? Come on, man. I love Diana Muldaur. Turned out it was a push-pull conducted largely within his family. So, Oh, well, there's context that has Ever to be Ever since then, Bob Picardo and I have been like this. <laughs> wow. Well, if we ever get a chance to talk with Bob, we'll... Uh... We'll ask him about that and oh, see what. Yeah, you do. You ask him about that. I know. It's like unprovoked and un, unprovoked assault. <laughs> Man. All right. So, John, before we get into anything terribly geeky, uh, I'm hoping we could talk about the Hollywood Food Coalition and Trek Talks. Yeah, I know this is something that's very important to you, but I'm wondering if you could tell everybody. Uh, we'll put this image up here on the screen so everybody knows what we're talking about. But could you tell everybody about these projects and how you got involved with them and how they help the community? Absolutely. So Trek Talks is a benefit to help the Hollywood Food Coalition, which we've now done. This will be our third consecutive year. January 13, it's a, an eight-hour, did I say six-hour? Eight-hour, eight-hour Jerry Lewis-esque streaming telethon with 50 to 60 amazing Star Trek guests. Last year, we had Scott Bakula. We've had Jerry Ryan. We always have Frakes. We've had Armin and Kitty. On and on I could go. It's a ton of panels, wonderful interstitial entertainments, musical guests, great laughs, all to raise money for the Hollywood Food Coalition. And I've been involved with the Hollywood Food Coalition based here in Los Angeles for the last seven or eight years. It's been around for about 37 years. In addition to providing a hot, nourishing, multi-course meal for all comers seven nights a week and a variety of other services to help them, we also rescue about three million pounds of food a year and we share it with about 150 other community groups. What we're trying to do is create a form of concierge-level relationship building using food as a medium with other not-for-profit groups so that we can help build coalitions of service that expand and grow throughout the community. We're also nice. interested in helping other groups learn how to develop similar enterprises. So these sort of food-centric pods, if you will, can be created all over the city. In that sense, the other thing we're really engaged in is a form of coalition building with a lot of not-for-profits that have an interest in serving people in need and in figuring out how to help in food deserts to identify ways in which we can only together solve problems. More refrigeration, more storage, more transportation, more volunteers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So Hollywood, where we're based, food, the centrality of our mission, coalition building, the idea of metastasizing growth through working together. Awesome. That's very cool. Yeah, it's a really, it's a lovely organization. And, you know, there's so much I 
can say about it. I came in initially to volunteer. I was a fruit salad maker, the worst fruit salad maker in the history of the world. It would take me five hours to like, you know, do do like five lemon melon balls with dishwasher, terrible dishwasher. Ow, I wasn't dropping the dishes. I couldn't do, I couldn't do anything. It was like, you know what I could do? I could join your board and I could gab. I could help raise there you money. Go. And help structure. I'm a pretty good administrator. So I kind of threw myself into that part of the uh, job that is about how do you grow? How do you build? How do you serve more? Mm-hmm. How do you expand? Um, and, and it's been a great joy for me. You know, there is something to be said for finding your strength and knowing that you're not a good melon baller, but that you can do the admin work. That's that's, exactly. that's a good thing. Like, I, I'm very much the friend that anytime somebody's like, hey, we have a party to plan, I'm like, Tell me what kind of napkins you want me to bring. Exactly. exactly. And, and, you know, the other thing I'll say as, as part and parcel of this is that one of the, um, I'll call it an offshoot of this, that has really become very important to me is because so many of the celebrities and the people that I've gotten to know in Track Talks, yourselves included, do so much good work in the community. I have really come to always want to make sure that what's get what gets mentioned is that what I love about this franchise and what I've come to really appreciate about Trek fans is that they really have dug into the idea that it does take um, a, a village and that people have a real sense of eagerness and responsibility towards one another into the world they live in. I, I see that again and again and again in the Trek family. And one of the things we're starting is our own sort of Trek divism podcast that would feature stories um, oh, very cool! Celebrities, people in the track community. What are they doing? How are they making the world a better place? So that we can kind of turn as many of uh, as many listeners as 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 are care to find out about this kind of stuff, on to all the different ways that people are are doing shit in uh, in Trekville. That's fantastic. I think that's a really good idea. Uh, a nice way to put a spotlight on that topic and and what's happening because you know there's. You know, so much of, of what I see in Trek is is built upon the hope that humanity can be better and should yeah. be better. And I think it's awesome to be able to see the community uh, be able to reach out and do do these things inside the community and in such a way that can be so uplifting and upbuilding for people. So that's fantastic that, yeah. that you guys are, are finding a way to spotlight that. Thanks. Yeah, it means a lot to me. And uh Again, because you've got it on the screen, if anybody wants to learn more, you can also go to our website, uh, hofoco.org. You can learn more about the Hollywood Food Coalition and our wonderful sponsors. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention them. Trek Geeks, they were the guys who really kind of helped launch this. Roddenberry Podcast, John Champion, who has been a rock. And uh, the folks, the wonderful folks at Trek Movie. Um, Lori Ulster has been a marvelous partner. We've got a team of about 15. The Sci-Fi Sisters are involved. Jay Stoby. It's a, a group effort, and uh, I'm blessed. Oh, nice. I'm blessed to have such amazing collaborators and partners. And yeah, Bonnie Gordon is going to be my co-host. Bonnie Gordon oh, awesome. is worth the price of admission right there. We're going to have um, a form of a raffle. People who donate at certain price points will be eligible to have their names drawn out of a hat to win some very cool prizes including a visit to the magic castle and here in los angeles if you can get your way here bonnie and i will spend the night with you at the magic castle and you'll have a blast it's an amazing oh that's fantastic that is very cool yeah that is very cool uh yeah i follow bonnie on socials and she is an absolute hoot she is marvelous i i adore her i adore her i I, she's my second favorite bonnie next to my there you go Wonderful wife, Bonnie Friedarisi. There you go. That's good to, that, that Bonnie Gordon's number two then. So oh, yeah. <laughs> number two of the bullet. There you go. I'm not gonna say rising fast because that's gonna get Bonnie number one a little peevish with me. So right. She's a again, no, this is number two, but that's as high as she's gonna get. It, it's this is another instance of, of John uh recognizing your strengths and your your liabilities. Uh so yeah, so Good on you for, for recognizing oh, yeah. that ahead of time. Yeah. When you can avoid upsetting your wife. Avoid upsetting your wife. Absolutely. <laughs> Possible. Yeah. Just... Absolutely. No, I, I realize there's any number of interviews I've done floating out in the world that I'm always hoping she doesn't stumble on. What did you say? <laughs> <laughs> she has been, I should note, however, she's a wonderful actress in her own right. She was the general on Chuck. She's had a long 
career. She was a Borg, in fact, in episode uh, blah, blah, blah of season two of Enterprise. And we have gone to many conventions together, and I have, uh, I, it didn't take that much to reel her up onto the stage with me. We quickly developed a uh, sort of a lowbrow Abbott and Costello routine. I never realized that I was married to somebody who would take to low vaudeville with quite so much enthusiasm. <laughs> we chase each other around, seltzer bottles, cream pies. Great. great oh, I, great, I love great, it. Great, I love that so much. That's fantastic. Also, yeah, as soon as you said, to bring the cream pie on stage yet. That's <laughs> as soon as you said who your wife was, and I all of a sudden had that moment of the, oh yeah, I'm watching Chuck again. General Diane Chuckles for like the fourth time. I love that show, yeah. Yeah. but like just restarted it last week, and it's the oh yeah, that is her. Wow, mm -hmm. my brain hurts. <laughs> that's, that's the missus. Oh, that's goodness. fantastic. That's awesome. So, John, in. Continuing talking about your charity work, you also work very closely with former guests, Armin Shimmerman, Kitty Swink, and um, hopeful future guest, hint, hint, Jonathan Frakes. Absolutely. Uh, just, we, I, just I, I, we would all come back. You can have all four of us on. I, I have to admit that Jonathan Frakes <laughs> yes, and please. Riker, Riker was my major, like, first celebrity crush. Like, if Jonathan Frakes came on the show, I would probably be a giggling fool for a while a pretty big celebrity crush of mine to be honest with you i, uh, I who I, wouldn't I, who I, wouldn't I, I, every bit as as charmingly roguish in real life as you would think he would be from his oh, appearance man. he's a doll and yes i my mother passed away from pancreatic cancer jonathan lost his brother kitty is a pancreatic cancer survivor of many years standing and we've recently added to our team Manny Cotto's brother, Juan Carlos. Manny Cotto was one of the executive producers on Enterprise in its last two seasons. So uh, we raise money, particularly geared towards the spring uh, pan Pancreatic Cancer, Cancer Action Network Walk, which is mm -hmm. called Purple Stride. So we have a, we have a team um and the t the name of the team is just like blown out of my mind isn't that terrible it's it's uh if you go to the pancreatic cancer action network and you go to the various pages where you see the teams ours is the one that has star trek on it it's trek trek striders or trek i, I just thought it was team i just thought it was team trek it probably it, it probably is team trek yeah i wasn't I I wasn't expecting you to talk about this tonight, so I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I usually have <laughs> down in front of me because there's so many names and acronyms and things I'm engaged in that if I don't put it in, on paper, I space. Um, mm -hmm. Like like Bonnie, if I didn't write down that her last name was Friederici, I wouldn't be able to talk about her. <laughs> I know. After 25 years, you'd think. Anyway, yes, the. Uh, uh, Pan pancreatic cancer is still the, uh, I believe the, I don't know if it's the first or the second um, most uh, deadly cancer in terms of number of, you know, how, how quickly mm -hmm. you, know, you get it, you go. But because of the work this amazing organization has done, they've actually increased the survivor. People now survive 11% uh, 11 more for, for at least five years. Um, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it's thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people mm. who've got a shot. And Kitty is, uh, you know, testament to the fact that some people actually, you know, really beat it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Anyway, cab us all on because they're infinitely more articulate about this than I am. I'm really late comer. I can talk your ear off still about the Hollywood Food Coalition, but Kitty's the person and Jonathan is the is the other one to, to really bend your ear on this. So, so team, it's actually not it, Team Trek. It's no, it's, it's Trek against pancreatic cancer. And I think that we should have all of them on before the Purple Stride walk this absolutely. next spring. Absolutely. I would love to do that. We'd love that. Yeah. We'd love that. And I'll and I'll have my talking points better better uh, better prepared than I did tonight. Well, got a few to, minutes to prepare for I'm it. Supposed to, uh, I'm supposed to talk with Kitty here shortly. Her and I were going to do a Zoom call. Uh, because we helped you guys last year and kind of slid in underneath uh, your guys' team name and just donated oh, to your guys' team name. Bravissimo, bravissimo. Hey, donate to me this time, would you? Because you could donate sure. one of us within the team. And I always come in last because I do all my <laughs> Hollywood Food Coalition at the end of the year. 
and then I do track talks. And by the time I turn around to start moving to pancreatic cancer, I've asked everybody I know to donate. So, well, see there. Yeah. Uh, last year, I think we, I want to say that we, I think we had just, I think about thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars we were able to raise, which, wasn't a, which isn't a ton, but it's every little bit helps and every little bit helps ma- majorly. So, um, and you guys were kind enough to, to sign some merch for us and send it. And we auctioned that off. Fabulous. Um, and and sold that and yeah all your guys yeah that was great because you know that was that was really nice because we were able to take that merchandise put it into our our social media groups and on our pages and and share it out with people and and uh you know because not only were they getting something trek and something signed but then it was you know it was a win-win yeah they got something cool for their money and 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 money went to to help pancan absolutely i'm happy to do that happy and i mean our Almost, it was almost fifteen hundred. I mean, it, it doesn't okay. feel it doesn't feel like a lot in the the big scope, but for a tiny podcast from Michigan, I think we did pretty darn good. Well, I, you know, it's people. funny if you are involved as I have been for many, many, many years. I was also on the board of an organization called um, Oh gosh, it's been so many years now. Um, AIDS it's been an AIDS centric organization, seven years or so, helping to raise money for people with HIV/AIDS. You know, it just it isn't about the size of a donation. It is about the the willingness of people to spread the word. And that's the thing I, I, I always say. It's like, it, you know, even more important than being able to to make a donation. If you can share the story, if you can tell the story, right. if you can put it out on social media, if you can share the link, it, it is really about. And what's amazing to me about the work that uh, PanCan has done is. In Purple Stride, there are, I think, 60-some? can't remember. Again, I would normally be more hep on this, but I've been so ho-fo-co-buried. We do a lot of, needless to say, for hunger relief organization, we do a ton of fundraising around Thanksgiving. So oh, that's okay. so where my head is at. But I, I, think, I think Pan Can now, Purple Stride, takes place in like 60 cities in America, something like that. I think so. Um, I mean, this is a fairly grassroots organization. It grew from it grew from the, these wonderful women who said they just, you know, they'd had their own personal experience and they wanted to find a way to support. Um, what they've done is extraordinary, and it, it it wouldn't happen if not for every single person. I mean, this is a bromide, but nonetheless, it's always worth saying. It's every single person. March of Dimes started with the idea that you could take your little cup. And you can go out and ask people in the street to put a dime in it and became one of the most successful fundraising mm-hmm. events in the history of American charities. That's uh, true. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, in April, when, when the, the Purple Stride comes back around, I think uh, the closest one to us is in Troy, Michigan. Oh, okay. Which is, a, which is just a couple hours away. So I'm looking at trying to clear my schedule because last year when this happened, um, I think somebody, for whatever reason, somebody thought I was coming to L.A. And so they were like, yeah, so when you get here tomorrow, you'll be working with this person and that person. And Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I was like, about that, I would love to. But I'm in Michigan, and there's no way I can get a last-second plane ticket. Uh, there's no way I can afford that. I would I love I, to. I think Armin walked in Kansas City one time. I mean, you know, it's it's for the various and sundry people in Star Trek who participate. Um, it, it's kind of, you know, what's the city we happen to be closest to at this mm-hmm. point in time? Sure. Many of us are always on the road. I'm not because I'm a bum and I'm unemployed. But Frakes is always like, you know. <laughs> He'll go to the opening of an envelope. I tell you, if there's a convention in Troy, he's going to be there. <laughs> Despite what that magazine said, nobody wants Dr. Flox at the convention. So you see, it's they want that hands. Oh, we take you in a heartbeat, John. Right. We don't have to worry about that. I'm not. I'm not begging. <laughs> I am. Look, I look at look. I'll wear my hoodie. Huh? <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. Like a banana or a hobbit? I'm not sure. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's a all. Banahabit. A banabit? <laughs> a banabit. There you go. You're a banabit. A banabit. 
I had to figure out a way to mash those two words together. Very good. You were too busy figuring out whether or not you could. You didn't think about whether or not you should. Oh, no, I shouldn't have. That's that's. Oh, I also, you're going to think I went to Harvard. I didn't. Um, for some reason, somebody started giving me, I, I, somebody gave me a Harvard Medical School t-shirt, then somebody else gave me a Dartford, a Dartmouth Medical School t-shirt, and then somebody gave me a Princeton Medical, and I have my whole drawer is like nothing but medical school t-shirts. So everywhere oh, I go, it's not because people like expect me to be able to do the Heimlich maneuver or give them a tracheotomy. Or, <laughs> I'm constantly asked to do these impromptu surgeries in the middle of subway cars. It's actually become very embarrassing because I usually botch it and then, I'm sorry. <laughs> Just, you know, you just leave them a business card with a, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some, some other doctor's name on it. It'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing worse than feeling like you're halfway through a tracheotomy just because I was too embarrassed to say I'm just wearing the shirt. <laughs> halfway through a tracheotomy to realize it was an apodectomy they needed. Uh, but, you know. Oh, an apodectomy. <laughs> they were close on the body. No, you weren't. Right. <laughs> it's on the body. Close enough. <laughs> All right, so. Uh, John, so before uh, you had you had a lot of guest appearances on television, uh, quite a few roles in movies um, before you were cast for uh, Enterprise. Now, my question for you is, uh, what did the casting as Dr. Flox mean to you both personally and professionally moving forward? Yeah, I mean, the honest answer to that is I actually hadn't really had a ton of film and television work prior to being cast on Enterprise. Some, but I was certainly still a struggling actor i had a little bit of dough in the bank but enterprise was the game changer for me both professionally and personally it was the first series i had that lasted i was on a short-lived series called the others um mm -hmm. and i remember calling my wife after i found out that i got the gig saying our lives just changed um, you know, in every possible way, financial security and uh, a level of recognition that I hadn't had before. Um, what I intuited, but which I didn't really understand, was that it was also the most wonderful thing, is becoming part of this amazing family, which mm -hmm. for somebody who is fairly sociable and for somebody who's inclined to be philanthropic, this has been a, a revelatory ride. I've had the opportunity to travel the world. I've had the opportunity to use this sort of limited, um, you know, success to help engender attention and raise some moolah for causes I care about. Mm -hmm. And as Bonnie says, he, he, I, I'm such a slut. I can go into a bar anywhere in the world, and if I just say loudly enough, back when I was on Star Trek, somebody's going to buy me a beer, which is like heaven. That's using your powers for good, sir. That is. For, self, that is selfish for selfish good um that's well, still good though yeah <laughs> yeah and, and you know i mean it's always it's always freakish and flukish how you get cast you audition if you're a working actor as opposed to a star you don't get offered things you get an audition and you i auditioned five times this week you know usually you don't get anything every now and again you get one this was mm -hmm. one i had I was asked to come in with a slight alien accent to read for the part of the of a Denobulan doctor on a sci-fi show. It's like, oh, all right, whatever. Um, realized it was Star Trek. Thought, oh, okay, okay, well, that's interesting. I didn't have any idea, though, you know, what the species was. All I knew was he was supposed to be relatively joyful, and he seemed to need to be ebullient. So I figured out with my wife that perhaps one way to sell that was to come in and pretend that i was a bird on my home planet you've probably heard this story before so i came in and i went blah 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 and i got cast and i thought oh i'm gonna be a bird i'm gonna be a bird for four years seven years i'm gonna be a bird and i went to the table read i went to the first rehearsal i squawked nobody said anything nobody said i wasn't a bird they didn't make me look like a bird they didn't dress me like a bird up until the very first day i was on the set i was really unsure am i a bird am i not a bird and I, we started, I went blah, 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 And the director said, John, quit around. See, I didn't use the word. You didn't. Very impressive. You. So I knew I wasn't a bird. That's how I knew I wasn't a bird. That's how they broke it to you. You think they would have broke it to you at the table read, you know, hey, John, don't do that. You don't I, do that. I, on I asked, I asked Rick and Brandon after the table read. I said, so am I, you know, I mean, I'm kind of working with this. Am I a bird? And they kind of went, they're very inscrutable characters. They kind of went, well, 
I was like, yeah, I, I, just seeing how long they can squawk. I don't really know how to how to. Uh, I asked the hair guy, I asked the makeup guy. Are you hearing anything? The wardrobe guy. It's like, does anybody does anybody know? Would anybody communicate this to me? Nobody does. I want to know what the over under was for the time limit that they would put on this for how long it would take for you to annoy the director with it. That's apparently, what I wanted. There's no. It was right away. I was like, it was uh, right away. <laughs> right away, James Conway. And it's also how I realized it's like, oh, I see where power ultimately sits is if the director doesn't like it, it's that you're not going to do it. So uh, I mean, now in retrospect, I'm fairly relieved. But at the time, of course, I'd, you know, kind of like work this whole thing out in my head. I, you know, <laughs> on bird books and like looking at birds in flight and the guy chose to go, yeah. Oh, goodness. I would have made the character a little bit more. I mean, the character is interesting on its own, but it would have been made a little more interesting, in my opinion. You know, like you're sitting there talking about performing some medical procedure and then, you know, just randomly just, you know. Well, that's sort of, uh, sort of what I thought, too. It's, but, you know, I, 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 I can see where they I can see where they might have like, you know, hmm. And then I can see where they probably went. Nah, that's what they didn't communicate. They didn't communicate the nah part to me. Yeah. <laughs> Might have been helpful. Yeah. Uh, it's overrated. You don't need to hear the naz. Nah. So, I'm actually quite amused. We've already sort of touched on this with your Harvard medical shirt. I was actually looking at your IMDb and you have about 20 roles where you have portrayed a doctor. Oh, at the least. <laughs> the least. So, doctor, I mean, at that point. Criminal psychopath. Sometimes right? a criminal psychopath doctor. But yes. I'm like, so at what point do you just get an honorary PhD for all the times that you've played a doctor? <laughs> I know. And it's utterly preposterous because I have no technical skills or scientific bent particularly, but I am somebody who reads a lot. So for whatever reason, I think people sort of think that I have, um, if you're somebody who's able to handle polysyllabic language fairly easily, Suddenly, you're, you know, they view you as a brainiac and they make you a professor. So I, I, I get to play professors. Plus, I, I, you know, I got the glasses. I got, I mean, you know, I got the whole thing. The professor. Right, right. In, in real life, I'm quite the dolt. It's ironic. But you're good explains why nobody, why nobody expects more from me because I, you know, I can't string together a full sentence without going, yeah, or something. Oh. Yeah. Oh man, the amount of bonus content that we have for the show that is tim just butt umming about things <laughs> well there's the butt ums but then there's also me just absolutely trying to get through something that i'm trying to you know something that i've rehearsed saying something for an introduction or or a promo that we were trying to cut for the show or something and me just sitting there raspberrying the microphone just you know and moving along because i was so fed up with myself there's I'm pretty sure John's got our John. Our producer's name is John, Kathleen's husband. Um, I'm pretty sure that he's got a, uh, uh, a full file of of buttums and so. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he's working on um, There's, taking yeah. the the raspberries and auto tuning them into a song. <laughs> yeah, I've I've heard I've heard whispers of this before from him, so I'm I'm pretty certain. That something's, you know, getting ready to come over the pike here. Because normally our John warns me of things like this right before they actually happen. Mm-hmm. So that there's not a whole lot of of shock. But maybe a little bit of, aww. You know. <laughs> there's not a whole lot of time for you to try to, like, back out and be like, oh, wait, no, you can't post that. Right. Oh, not darn. a lot of time to You're actually posted. dissuade him from the, the juvenile <laughs> thing that he's about to do to me. No. <laughs> My no husband way. doing something juvenile? I know, right? <laughs> Preposterous. Preposterous. <laughs> oh, goodness. So, I mean, thinking about your roles, talking about your roles, and with the joking about you getting an honorary PhD, is there another profession that you haven't gotten to portray on screen that you think would be fun? I, I th- There's not... I did play a politician once. I played the mayor of Boston on a short-lived show called Gideon's Crossing with Andre Brower. But they decided after they shot the episode, the network decided, director liked my work, um, but the network decided I wasn't mayoral enough. And so they recast it with um, a different actor. And... That's the only time I've ever played a politician, I think. And that always interests me. I, I don't 
unfortunately, you know, it's such a visual business. There's so many um, visual cliches that Hollywood traffics in, some of it unconscious. But mm-hmm. the idea that, and witness what the network said, he's not mayoral enough. What does that mean? It means that in in their viewpoint, a politician has to be, you know, silver thatched and wavy hair and six foot tall. And there are certain images, stock images that people have. So a lot of the things that I don't get to play usually are powerful men roles where the visual cliche suggests it needs to be somebody bigger, bulkier, taller, more physically imposing. Um, the guy who runs the corporation. If I'm the boss, it's usually, it's like, you know, what, he turned out to be the big boss? I never would have suspected that. He's such a creepy looking guy. Not the guy who actually is sitting in the power chair right out of the gate. Mm. So I think you just missed your window because a lot of the people who played politicians in like the 80s and 90s were not the tall, skinny, you know, power looking guys. They were they were the the frumpy looking guys, the the chubby looking guys like me. So, you know, um, well, it's certainly, you know, there are always exceptions to every rule and there are always careers that, you know, you look at and you go, oh, wow, that guy, Stephen Root, I think right now is, is you know, such an amazing mm-hmm. actor and yeah, is in demand and will yeah. has to do just about anything. Some of it is I just didn't rise to the level where people would want me enough to to be a little more uh, creative in how they could utilize me. And, you know, that's just, I'm not complaining. That's just the nature of the business. There are, there are hierarchies, there are levels. It's a ladder for a lot of reasons having to do with your looks, your own degree of ambition, circumstances outside of your control. You can right. get to certain rungs and not get to the next rung. And the next rung is always a little more liberating. You get to do more stuff, more interesting mm-hmm. stuff. Um, there was a show I was on called The Nine many years ago on ABC. People predicted great things for it. It flopped right out of the gate. If it had been a success, that, you know, I'd have gotten up a little bit higher on the ladder than I did. You know, it's just ran- it's, there's so many random things. Sure. Well, that makes sense. But I, I'm not, you, know, you don't lose any sleep over it. If you, I got to make a, a nice living doing the thing I dig and uh, have had a great time along the way. The kind of parts you'd kind of like to have played... You know, in a way, it's not so much the type of part as it is the echelon you needed to get to, you know. No, that's fantastic. Yeah. I think the fact that you got to do what you like to do and you got paid for it is a major win in of itself. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I mean, you know, there's so many there's so many ways of looking at success. I I feel very blessed. I had parents who Mm -hmm. loved who inculcated in me a deep love of learning and reading and were willing to accept that I wanted to do something rather bizarre and maybe, you know, from their viewpoint, sort of risky, but they supported me on the way. Um, I had success. I'm happily married. I have great friends. It's like it it, it would be churlish in the extreme for me to ever kind of say, oh, but I didn't get the, you know, it's uh, one in 1,000 actors are actually, you know, what we know as as real stars. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Most of us are just, you know, we have careers. You know, if You're, we're right. work reasonably consistently, it's a it's an achievement. Yeah. The uh, the the megastar is the exception, not the rule. You know, and I th- and I think that's what people get blurred on. You know, the blurred lines about is that they think that especially coming off the actor strike, you know, you, you read, we read a lot of things and heard a lot of comments about people like, Oh, they're, what do they need to strike for? They're, they're actors there. So there's a misconception there of, of yeah. how many actors are, are up on this top tier and how many are, are here just working there, you know, doing a work a day life lifestyle, trying to get, you know, through life, just like the rest of us. Right. Yeah. There were, I won't go into all the whole song and dance, but understandable. Yeah. Yeah. There were a lot of, there are a lot of things that people don't really understand about the day in day out realities of this business. Most of it having to do with the fact that we can, we can be unemployed for long periods of time in between. Right. Gigs, and what keeps us going is the residual stream. Right. The idea that we are getting a steady stream of reasonable income from the 
showings of all the things we've ever done. Screaming mm-hmm. has really disrupted that income stream. And although the settlement takes us a step in the direction of recouping some of that money, it's still, unfortunately, we've got a ways to go. Um, yeah, right. That model doesn't quite work terribly well. One of the things that happened is, they, unfortunately, you know, back in the day, the money really comes from advertising. And as much as we all hate watching ads, it's the fact that the advertisers pay the people who make those shows a lot of money to put their ads on the shows that mm-hmm. allow that money to trickle down everywhere into the economy, into Hollywood's economy. Mm-hmm. Streaming doesn't have ads. Now right. you need to try and figure out how to put ads back in. Like, hey, you pay a little bit less, but you got to watch the ads. You pay more, you don't have to watch the ads. But they're going to have to make those price points pretty big because if, if it's right. the difference between $12 and $9, you'd say, screw it, I'll pay the extra three bucks. I won't have to watch ads. Uh, it's going to have to be more like 30 and 10. You know, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's got to be a bigger discrepancy there for, you know, so that it's not something you can, like you said, if it's an easy, if it's a couple bucks, I mean, yeah. My, yeah. One of my famous sayings is I've I've spent more on stupider, you know, exactly. Uh, so exactly. But that's the problem is, is that unfortunately, it, and I don't I'm, I'm hoping that this doesn't redound against the artists in our field. But one of the things that I think is going to happen is we're going to see the economics of streaming. It's going to begin to come back around and bite the consumer a little bit. Mm-hmm. There's been a race, as often happens, to try and create these this, you know, medium through mm-hmm. which television can be made available. And so the prices have been trying, you know, they try and keep the prices low so people will learn how to stream. You right. know, what's going to happen now is the price is going to start to go up. And, and with streaming, it was supposed to be the get away from cable, get away from the big cable bill. And then, well, here, here's Netflix. that's going to have everything. Well, wait, no, this TV, this station wants their stuff and this station wants their stuff and this station wants, and then you end up having to pay yeah, more yeah, than you paid for yeah. cable anyway. If you've got Hulu, if you've got HBO, if you've got Amazon, if you've got Netflix, if you've got yeah, Paramount, Disney, yep. you know, par- and there's, it seems like there's always something that sounds really good on that other channel. Mm-hmm. So yes, right. you end up, and as the prices go up, I think we'll begin to see consumers go, wait a minute, I'm now paying, I mean, it's happened you know, look at what we now pay for cell phone, what we pay for so many things. When I think back and when I grew up, I'm 63 years old. When I grew up, I had a phone and if somebody called and nobody's home. They call you back. Right. Now we carry these things around with us or little computers. We spend thousands of dollars a year, you know, on all the various, you know, aspects of, of having of having the, the ability to be in constant communication and have constant information. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's much to be said about that. But for the people who are raking that money in, it's like, man. Yeah. <laughs> I have to say, though, as as a completely uneducated consumer, I don't mind commercials. I don't mind the ads as long as they actually timed them with the original commercial breaks. Mm. The number of times that certain services will... I'll be watching Voyager or Deep Space Nine and they'll have a commercial break. And then it's the, there's the break for the commercial. There's where it was. And you were 30 seconds before that. Mm. You interrupted dialogue. Mm, Yeah. Well, that's, that's certainly what it was in syndication. You know, again, when I was a kid and television shows went into syndication, you'd watch the syndicated, you know, airing. It'd be like, well, how much did you cut? Right. To mush all that commercial product in. Um, yeah. I mean, I totally aesthetically, totally get the appeal. I love modern television. I love the variety mm-hmm. of it, the range of it. I love the adult nature of much of the material. I love the fact that you don't have to watch commercials. Unfortunately, the economics of it mm-hmm. don't really work. It. Yeah, it don't really work. I also wish I had the ability that, like, because I've got a five-year-old. I would love to be able to say... These are the commercials I want my five-year-old to see. Right. I don't want every commercial that for, for her to see to be the next Barbie that she thinks she needs. Right. Because I don't want to deal with that meltdown every 15 minutes. Right. Right. <laughs> Give her the boring car commercials. Right. She doesn't She doesn't need to buy a car. No, no. She needs to see those because if I had to sit through those with my kids, no. you're sitting through it with your kid. That's just the way it works. No, no. Parenting evolves and gets better, Tim. This, this should be the next evolution of parenting. 
Show our kids <sighs> the boring commercials. Uncle Tim's got some videos to show your daughter. Mm. <laughs> Rude. I'm holding my tongue because this is a family show. <laughs> John Billings' right. series of child rearing will not be introduced. <laughs> That's a whole other show. That's a whole other topic. All right. So, John, we've got some questions from our listeners. One of the things that we do when we have guests on is from time to time we'll throw out, hey, we're going to talk with so and so. And we'd like to have uh, if you have questions for them. So we put out a, uh, an image of you the other day and said, hey, we'll be talking with John Billingsley, Dr. Flox from Star Trek Enterprise. Would you like to ask a question? So we picked four questions Fabulous. Uh, uh, from some of our listeners. And uh, so we're going to th- uh, throw these at you and see what you have to say. Ooh. Okay. All right. All right. So our first question comes from Sean Allred. Uh, and Sean would like to know, what's your favorite? I'm a doctor, not a blank quote. I didn't get that lobbed at me a lot. And I, I don't know if I remember the original show quite, uh, quite well enough to pull any of the, uh, it was, it was, I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer was the one I remember the, liking the most from the, uh, from the, the Horta that that was the Horta episode. Um, yeah. And then Bob Picardo has a very funny story about that. Um, uh, <laughs> I can't, I, he'd have to tell it. It, it helped him Fair. get the job on Voyager. Okay. He improved the last line of his audition with a, I'm, I'm a doctor, not a, and they oh, fantastic the job. So I'll leave that for Bob to answer. All That's right. Fine. Fair enough. I think my favorite one personally uh, is actually not from Star Trek. It's from Ace Ventura. <laughs> he's in the pool and he, he picks his head up and he's like, damn it, Jim, I'm a doctor, not a pool man. <laughs> anyway. Oh, gosh, I need to watch those movies again. Sorry, you, you say Ace Ventura and I'm like, oh, I love those movies. Yes, I wish I, I, I could come up with a better answer for you, but I, I, I'm, I don't have one. That's okay. That's a good I answer there that. still. All right. One of our show's very good friends, Phil Better, would like to know, as an actor, you've worked in various genres. Is there a specific genre or type of character that you haven't explored yet but would like to in the future? I think we kind of talked about that earlier, but um, I don't know that I would say genre, although, yes, I would I would love to be the detective on a detective show, mm-hmm. uh, like Columbo. That would be fun. I would love to have the, uh, you know, the whole show kind of be about, sorry, let me just ask you there one more thing, one more thing. I thought that was one of the greatest characters in television history. And I would love to find some, some, I'd love to do some version of that. Not Columbo necessarily, but the, uh, the detective on a series. That would be fun. God knows I've been the villain. I've been the murderer. I've been the perp. I've been the red herring. I've been every right. other thing on every crime show ever made, but I've never been the actual detective. Okay. Except on the other, fun. the others was kind of a spook show and we were sort of paranormal hunters. So in that very limited sense, I suppose I was a ghost detective, a detective investigating the paranormal, but that's, that doesn't count. I'm talking about Hercule Poirot. Ooh. Right? There you go. That would be a fun take on Poirot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got I got offered the chance to audition for a friend of mine plays Hercule Poirot quite a bit uh on in stage adaptations of various the mysteries up in the, the Portland area. They seem to awesome. do it fairly, fairly regularly. I got a chance to audition once for Hercule Poirot, but I turned it down because it was a stage play and I don't tend to do stage work very much anymore. Don't have this enough for it. Fair enough. Well, if you ever do, and you get the chance to do it, make sure you do slide a little Columbo in there because that would be a nice uh, juxtaposition between the personalities. Columbo would be probably more my my bent. I mean, if I was designing my perfect detective, and I do read, I read a lot, and I tend to kind of throw in detective novels periodically, and I am right. drawn to that kind of sort of schlumpy detective guy who walks in that nobody takes seriously but you know has a mind like a steel trap i do have a soft spot for that um, that set of conceits all right so that would be a cool thing to see in the future yep. like that. yep 
And I can right. see this is not exactly an answer to that question, but my idea for a Star Trek spinoff is called Old Fat Flocks, where Dr. Flock sits on a rocking chair, and basically every episode begins with him, like Edgar Buchanan in the old Petticoat Junction show. And he would say, well, back in the day when I was an injured galactic sawbones, I had all sorts of adventures. Let me tell you a story. And then you had the flashback music. And a bunch of young people would run around in their blue underpants and they would act it all out. And then you'd come back to me at the end and I'd be, well, stay tuned next week for another episode of Old Fat Flocks. And I would, I would watch that. I, I don't I'd know. watch the I, hell out of that. I'd get big checks. I'd only have to work a tiny little amount. There'd be a young right. and handsome Dr. Flocks. He'd be the real star, but I'd still be number one on the call sheet. Oh, oh I love it. I love it. That's fantastic. And I'd watch the hell out of that. That'd be great. Mm-hmm. Hollywood producers, are you watching this? <laughs> All right. Our, our next listener question comes from Twitter. Uh, the user handle at the darkest moose. So at the darkest moose said, which episode of Enterprise is he most proud of in terms of his acting performance? I was particularly fond of Doctor's Orders in season three. But other, uh, another was uh, others that were centered on his character were great too, like Dear Doctor in season one. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, those two are probably as an actor because you, I just had more to do. You know, when you've got more to do, you've got more of an arc, you've got more um, uh, material to work with. The other one that comes to mind that I, I enjoyed, I don't know if I necessarily thought it was the most. Um, there, there was there are two that come to mind actually. One is an episode, the name of which escapes me. I think it's called the Breach. Maybe the conceit was that there's a species that my the Denobulans have long been more or less at war with. We are on the outs with them, and a representative of that other species arrives on the ship. He's got a treatable illness, but if, if I don't treat it, he's going to die. He doesn't want me to deal with him because I'm a Denobulan, and I say fine die and the captain is you you can't stop there come on uh i thought that was kind of interesting i wasn't entirely sure i fully bought the premise based on what i kind of perceived the denobulan culture to be like but i thought that was a fairly interesting uh acting challenge and then the other one was uh, a night in sickbay which was a little more antic where the captain has uh decided to bunk with me because he's concerned about his beagle and he doesn't want to leave him alone in my care. And so it becomes a sort of an odd fellows episode. Odd, uh, odd, odd fellows. What is that? Uh, odd couple. Odd couple. Odd couple episode. Um, I keep him up by brushing my long tongue, which goes down to the floor and clipping my toenails and behaving in various odd, odd ways. Um, I, I enjoyed that in large part because I got to work with Scott so much. And the last part of that, I will say my favorite episode episode was, uh, the episode in which we cloned Trip, uh, which I oh, okay. season three, and I don't remember the name of the episode, but uh, I thought that was the best episode in terms of integrating the the tension because we we had we had we had we were on a you know a quest we had to we had to do something. The nature of the way everybody had an emotional involvement with the storyline, and I thought it was by far and away Jolene and Connor's. By far and away, Jolene and Connor, I thought were wonderful in that episode. It was the episode when Jolene actually realizes she really has feelings for Trip. She kind of falls in love with the tr- the cloned version of Trip. Um, I thought that was a fabulous episode. Oh goodness! So then, thinking about the episodes, that actually goes really well into the next question. Uh, Nathan Houghton asks, "Did you like the shift to the darker expanse season?" Yeah, that's a good question. Yes and no. What I liked about it was the fact that it introduced a level of tension and urgency, which I think was needed. Um, you know, the the challenge of our show, Wagon Train in Space, is that, you know, in any given episode, you know, it's, it's sort of old-fashioned television. Old-fashioned television was every show was standalone. And television has changed. The nature of, of television, how the stories are told, has kind of changed and shifted. And I, I thought to a certain extent, we needed to change and shift with it. So I was glad to see sequentiality introduced, that each episode built on the episode before. What I wasn't as crazy about, being extremely political, was the idea that that third episode was, in essence, post 
to me, borderline xenophobic. I felt as if there was a certain sense of the bugs attacked us. We must kill the bugs. I, I, even though I recognize at the end of that arc did suggest that even the bugs, the insect creatures were being manipulated in a way and perhaps you could mm-hmm. suggest that there are forces in the world that are are more um um how do i say this that that capitalist forces are perhaps at work in all societies and that some of what we don't recognize is that we have more common interests than the powers that be might you know deeply let us appreciate it was hard to not feel like when that third season launched it was um it, it wasn't in a weird way, borderline racist. And that bugged me. I can see how you can feel that. I can, way. yeah. I mean, anything post 9 11, I mean, especially that soon post 9 11. It was the lead up to the invasion of Iraq, you know, which, which was specifically to me, and I, I realize this isn't the time or the place for geopolitics, but you know, I mean, I think that's one of the worst decisions that America has made in the last 50 years. Um, and it, it was it was a drumbeat, you know. We went into Iraq, you know, on on false pretenses, um, and blood and treasure was spilled. I, I think, to me, the nature of what was happening on some on some American television shows was was, you know, rooted in post nine eleven. We've got to do something. Who can we get? Who can we kill? Who can we fight? Who can we fight? Who can we fight? And I didn't want to see Star Trek buying into that. Right. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. And I, I think because... especially because like we were talking about earlier with, with Star Trek and it being so much of the, because it's set in the future and it's the hope for the human race and look at what we can as humans do, that Maybe having that, yeah. that fall into that same sort of... Yeah, that's what it felt like to me. Now I've had some conversations with, with, uh, with other folks, including Scott, where, where you know they have, have made very intelligent and convincing arguments that there's another way to look at it that it wasn't necessarily intended to be as xenophobic that it was as much a you know a commentary on xenophobia as it was a you know i i i didn't really quite see that see that you know yeah okay um i think that's fair that said the fact that we had urgency the fact that that you know we had a mission meant that a lot of episodes like the episode where we cloned trip we had to clone trip because we didn't we needed a trip so it mm-hmm. put us it put us that season put us in a box in which every episode even the ones that seemed to be kind of stop and sing a hurry up song every episode had tension to it that i liked awesome. okay. i think those are great answers could have done right. the nazi episode could have done without that it was like the I, I i really liked the way the fourth season progressed but i i i wasn't too crazy about the way the third season led into the fourth season fair okay all right john we have one final question for you before we start wrapping things up here and we like to call this our silly question oh excellent other ones have been oh so serious let me put my banana hat on there we go fantastic Mm -hmm. all right and uh we asked this question because well we think it's a shame that as an adult no one gets asked this anymore but John Billingsley, what is your favorite dinosaur? Dinosaur. Let's see. There's a bit. Uh, how many dinosaurs do I know? The Stinkosopterus. The Stinkosopterus. Stinkosopterus, whose primary power was was stinking up the joint. He would like you know he would fart his way into the room, and all the other dinosaurs would be like, "I could never mind," and then they would like so yeah. He was the last dinosaur left standing, usually at most like dinosaur parties. I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> I think you broke Tim. <laughs> Look out! Yeah, like comes... picture is like a dinosaur farting and then waving his tail to the Here comes you know. the Stinkosopterus! Oh no! Who invited him? Oh no! Hi guys, how you doing? <laughs> Hey, uh, note for our John. I think we just found a, a use for all my raspberries. We can make a Stinkosopterus trailer. Um, 
The thing about the Stegosaurus is his butt was bigger than his head, which is unusual for dinosaurs. That's true. Wait a minute, am I a Stegosaurus? Oh, there's a question that doesn't get asked very often. More Americans could <laughs> ask that question. Have I become a Stinkosopterus? <laughs> Is my butt larger than my head? Uh, it might be. Yes, it might be. <sighs> oh, goodness. John, we have enjoyed this conversation so, so much. Where can our viewers and our listeners go to find out more about you, your work, and the amazing charities that you work with? Well, I'm not a great social media person. I have been on Twitter at jbillingsley60. And I confess that, again, I'm fairly political, so you'll have to forgive me. But all of the things that Elon has done over the course of the time since he bought it have really pulled me out. So I, I visit... I try and, you know, particularly because I do want to continue to promote charitable events and et cetera. And I look in, but, but it, 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 it is hard to, it is hard to be on that, on that platform. And I haven't transitioned over to any of the replacements and I'm not a picture taker, so I don't do Instagram. I have Facebook, but I don't do Facebook very much. So, um, you know, unfortunately for all of the energies I try and put into <laughs> friend and fundraising for various organizations. I don't back it up with great social media efforts. I rely on other people to do that for come over to Come over to Threads. We'll take you on Threads. Threads, oh. yeah. It's probably just a matter of time because, uh, you know, every day it's like another, like, oh, man, you know? Yeah, hey. I think... For our show, I think both Kathleen and John have shut down their Twitter accounts. Mm -hmm. I, we still have our show page there, but I'm every day considering I, I see something else and I'm going, why am I still here? I know. I know. It's really hard because, you know, if you have a decent following and, and you primarily... I don't want to lose our followers. And you primarily use it to try and generate revenue for charity... It's really like there's a part of me and also even even candidly, it's like when this is, I think, one of the interesting things about our political conversation is does one leave, you know, or does one stay? Right. You know, it's does one leave a family? Does one leave a state? Does one leave a club? Does one leave a bar? Does one leave a social media channel or does one stay? And it's like, ugh, I don't have, you know. There are a bajillion answers to that based on temperament, personality, and age, and a thousand other factors. But uh, I, I find Twitter is like, do I leave or do I stay? Do I leave or do I stay? It, it just like, yeah, I get that. I'm not gonna call it X. I mean, oh, no, no. Could that guy do anything more to ruin Twitter? I just oh. it's like we, we say no, but then give him two hours. Oh, I know. Hold on, where's the? Uh... How did this guy? Well, his his, re his recent stunt is not going to help him. His uh, reaction to uh, advertisers. I know. His, I know. Yeah. His so. words to Bob Iger. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and he the, might be the he might be the smartest dumb person on the planet. Uh, yeah. No kidding. And uh, I'm just waiting to see what's going to happen once the algorithm on on uh, Twitter finds out that our page has blocked Elon. So I don't have to see his crap. So you did? You blocked him on his own app? I did, yeah. Because so I couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> couldn't take it anymore. Something I think it was on Slate or Salon or one of the online, you know, <laughs> magazines. What is his end game? His end game is to actually scuttle his own enterprise, but blame it on others so that he could be the world's biggest martyr. It's like, yeah, uh, this guy is the biggest crybaby. It's, it's it, it is it is textbook narcissistic personality disorder. Wow. Like, yeah, it is a lot of that going on. Textbook. Yeah, with the I'm doing all these wonderful things. Look at how wonderful I am. Oh, you don't appreciate me. Yeah, I know. Why don't you just love me and the things I, I do? Free speech, free speech. How dare you not stick around to hear my free speech? Right. <laughs> I don't think you understand what the free speech means that I get to leave the room. It reminds me of the, the line from Princess Bride. You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Yeah. yeah. Hey, free speech <laughs> also means that I am free to leave. I'm free to leave, baby. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, anyway, not to end on a on a, on a a downbeat note, 
but um, yes, yeah, so, oh, so, okay. so uh, I, 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 I wish I had more. I, what I really need to do is set up a, a fan page on Facebook, but I, I don't tend to use, I try not to go on Facebook too much because Facebook is that weird time suck. You know, where it's like, mm-hmm. oh, look, Jenny, I went to the fourth grade. Oh, look at this. Wish it's going to picnic. Oh, the... oh, and then hours go by. So <laughs> you know. that's true. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, people that, I, people that I'm still friends with on Facebook that I haven't talked to since I graduated high school. And I'm like, I don't really want to talk to you, but I do want to see pictures of your kids because your kids are cute. I, I uh, yeah, that's a little bit what happens to me, except I don't necessarily want to see pictures of their kids. <laughs> Their yeah, puppies, their cats. Cats, cats. That's why you go to Facebook. It's for the cats. Well, that's what the internet was made for. Yeah, exactly. I know. I know. Um, are you cat people? Yes. I am, yeah. We, I, my uh, family has two cats. I wish I... My cat is usually... my One of my two cats is usually right plunked down here. I turn the camera so you can see him, but he's so chosen not to grace us with his appearance today. Uh, that's sad. I have three cats. Oh, we have two. What are your cats' names? The oldest is Nymeria, so she's Nymeria. named after she's named after a dire wolf from Game of Thrones. Oh, okay. Which is hilarious because she's a very small black cat. Okay. I then have a tuxedo uh-huh. whose name is Ernest. Uh-huh. Um, so I named him. He's actually Ernest Fitzgerald. He's named after Ernest Hemingway and F. Scott Fitzgerald. Okay. And then we have my daughter's cat, whose name is Bowser Jr. Oh, I like that. And he is a street gremlin that showed up in our driveway and declared that he lived here oh he's seven months old and an absolute terror oh he's a hellion he is he has figured out how to swing on the shower curtain like tarzan and will do so and then launch himself at whichever of the adult cats is in the litter box oh well, I, I don't, not that I condone that, but it's still kind of cute sounding. It's adorable, but yeah. it's also very naughty. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody wants to have somebody pounce on you when you're on the can. That's for sure. Right? Exactly, right? right? I'm like, can you give them their space while they do their business? Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, Tim, got, what do you have? Yeah, we have two cats. Uh, our oldest one, his name is Vader. He's all black with a big white box on his chest. He's a bit of a jerk. So uh, we named him Vader. Okay. Theme fitting. Um, and then uh, our second cat uh, is came to us through the cat distribution system. He just kind of showed up on our backyard. Okay. And uh, he's polydactyl. He's got seven uh, seven toes on each of his front paws. Oh, wow. Uh, and so we named him Seven. He's a oh. cloud. He is so, a marshmallow cat. Yeah, he's just a big cloud. Nice. Uh, he's very cuddly, very loving cat, um, very playful, and... Uh, very murderous. He is the best hunting uh, hunter I have ever seen in a cat. The extra it's claws. ridiculous. Mm. Well, it's the extra claws. He can. Uh, he has opposable thumbs. He could. He could rule the world if he really wanted to. Um, but uh, uh, yeah. Then, um, but yeah. He 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 he'll he'll bring us stuff like uh, to the porch. He's an indoor outdoor cat. <laughs> Vader Vader's purely indoors, basically because he mainly because he's fat, lazy, and doesn't want to have to chase things. I'm an indoors actor. That's exactly what I say to people. Well, let's see. There you go. Definitely an indoor person. Is it an indoor role or is it an indoor outdoor role? Because I'm pretty much just an indoor actor now. Do I have to go outside for this? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but you let seven outside. I, we funny story. We had our our neighbor come across the street to us holding a baggie of bird feathers from uh the birds that my cat had killed in his yard Aww. and he was mad because he wanted me to control my cat and i'm like have you ever trained a cat do you have you ever had a cat do you know that cats don't listen they do their own thing oh but but seven is also so polite and he brought a present to a baby shower he did oh. murdered a, a bird right in front of him jumped right in the sun oops oh. that was loud yeah. um uh yeah, yeah he ju- they were all the all the girls were sitting in a, a circle and you know the on the patio one, <laughs> and he just jumps right in the center with a with a uh, blue jay screaming for its life. Oh, oh. He brought a present to the baby shower. He was upset. Oh, he wasn't he's invited. A, he's a giver. Yeah. So, so then John, you said you have two cats. I have two cats. Yes, we have Boo, and then we have Yv- Yvette Mew Mew. Um, who uh, is our girly girl? Her other name. Love it. Yeah. I love it. They're both indoor kitties. 
Because I care about the birds, Tim. I care about the birds. <laughs> Ours are indoor kitties, too. Man, somewhere the birds. Have you seen that Hitchcock movie, The Birds? Yes. You're on the list, Tim. That's how well, the birds make these decisions. It's like <laughs> I watched a I watched a Hitchcock-sized flock of birds fly away by my house today, and I had that moment of the I'm staying inside. I don't know what they're doing. Mm -mm, that's that's not a cloud. That is a giant group of birds. <laughs> we had uh, we had a, a flock of geese go over our house a couple weeks back in the you know in the V formation go over in the house and the arrow point. And I think they all crapped at the same time because our cars were just decimated. And they heard about the cat because they heard right? about your cat. There you That's go. right. It went, it went through the bird, uh, the bird communication the bird, network system. Exactly. It's like, you know, hey. And of course, they went, it went to the geese because the geese are the worst. Well, right. The well, they were Canadian geese, too. The so geese probably have a fighting chance against the seven. Right. Yeah, a better chance than a blue jay. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Geese are vicious. <laughs> Uh, they're they're the jerks of the bird world. They are vicious, vicious things. So, hey, guys, just want to remind you that subscribing is the single most important thing you can do to help us uh, get more amazing guests like John Billingsley here today and have funny moments for you guys to be able to listen to, to be able to hear these cool stories and things happening behind the scenes. So please subscribe. It helps out well more than what you know. And frankly, uh, you haven't seen the whole interview because unless you're a Patreon member, you're not getting the extra behind the scenes and bonus content uh, that will be up on there. So we have five levels of subscription ranging from $1 to $40. And there's a ton of fun stuff over there with including free merch uh, with certain levels of Patreon subscription. But for whatever reason, if you are not happy with the content of our show today, please feel free to lodge a complaint with the head of our complaint department. That, of course, is Dr. Flox himself. And before you say, wait a minute, he's a doctor and can't do any harm, I would like to remind you of the words of Phlox himself when talking to Captain Archer, that Hippocrates was human. Dr. Phlox is not human. He's denobulin. We all know that Phlox has a high level of morality. Denobulin! Yes. Denobulin! Denobulin. <laughs> oh, those, those five words on denobulin. Oh that man, is, you, yes. you should have heard you should have heard Armin correct him when he said Ferengi wrong. Oh well, yeah, I I did say Ferengi wrong. Yes. <laughs> anyway, uh, sorry, I, inter I interrupted you in Midge Beal because that's that's okay. I had to. That's I'm glad you did. All right, we all know that Flox has a high level of morality and will probably make a nice decision in regards to any punishment to be handed out, but we would rather not take that chance. So keep that in mind when you send in your two copies of your complaint form, one for the good doctor's records and the one to be given to us, the source of your complaints. Thanks again, John. D-E-N-O-B-U-L-A-N, Denobulin. Denobulin. Denobulin, because you say, where are you from? Deno. That was my plan. Well, see, Denobulin was, is the ghetto version. That's just right around the corner. That's... <laughs> That's the other side of the spaceport. That's the other side. <laughs> uh, and on that note, on that we're going to say goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> Copyright 2024 FSF Podcast. Reference to any specific product or entity mentioned on this podcast does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by FSF Podcast. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. If you have any questions about this disclaimer, please contact us via email at info at fsfpopcast.com. <laughs>